you're looking to change things up in your classroom. You'd like to see more student participation and interest, or you really need a better way to tap into each student's individual abilities. Maybe you're happy with everything in your classroom and you're just that teacher who will stop at nothing to provide the very best opportunities for your students so you're always open to hear more good news. Well, let me personally welcome you to the Student-Centered Science Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Carosis. I'm a secondary science teacher with 11 years experience teaching at-risk students in a distance learning cyber model. And yet, I've realized success in my efforts to plan for and execute student-centered learning. See, I believe that a science teacher's job goes beyond transferring specific content knowledge. Rather, I believe our duty is to prepare students for life beyond our walls, to help develop them into informed, active members of society who can confidently make all kinds of decisions. So on this podcast, our discussions will focus on strategies to promote active learning in the classroom and their outcomes, as well as creating and nurturing a culture that enables students to take ownership of their learning by planning next steps and implementing our feedback. Here, we believe that our classrooms are learning laboratories, not just for students, but also for teachers. You'll always get encouragement to keep on experimenting because what you do and how you do it matters. Let's jump into today's topic. Throughout my years as a teacher, I've gotten plenty of messages from students who particularly appreciated my personality, my kindness, or my willingness to go the extra mile for them. My guess is that you've received those same kind of notes through the years. You know how I know that? I know that because if you're listening to this, you are not a teacher that chose this profession for the summers off or for the potential pension. I know that you're listening because you found this podcast. You found me. As part of your search for something more or just something different, you have a commitment to your own practice, to that development of your gifts that doesn't allow you to become complacent. You don't start the new year, the new school year, with your old notes and your old plans confidently in hand, ready to skate through yet another year. Or maybe you're a new teacher, you're a brand new teacher, but you have that same frame of mind. You want to be the best you can to enrich lives to the best of your ability. This job means something so much more to you. And as I've mentioned in plenty of former episodes now, Just like I know that about you, your students know that about you. Don't forget that 60% mindset. That mentality that we may not be giving our students enough credit for what they can figure out on their own. Tweens and teenagers in particular are tough, right? At face value, it's so easy to believe that all they're concerned with is the latest video game or how many likes their latest social media post has earned them. It might seem that they're just going through the boring motions of the day-to-day. Even our most engaged students, we might think, are showing up to be their personal best. And in so doing, neglect to realize us doing our personal best for them. 
But if you've never noticed or never thought about it before, students, kids, adults, people, we learn who to trust. And we learn why we should trust them or we shouldn't trust them through our experience in life. So when you show up day after day with interactive science lessons that are prompting them to discover something new and demonstrating to them when they're done, how they themselves, the students, were able to accomplish that hard work of learning, they notice. And when they express their appreciation for you, it goes far beyond, you're my favorite teacher. Their feedback is full of specific detail that often explains just how you were able to stand out amongst innumerable other people in this teacher role throughout their short lives. As this is a podcast devoted to student-centered instructional approaches, I thought it particularly appropriate to use student words to coerce you, if you have not already been coerced, into adopting these approaches for your own students or reminding you, if you've not yet received love notes like this, of what exactly you're achieving day in and day out when you're working with them and how much it means on a level deeper than you ever might observe. I highlight this student feedback on my website on a page entitled Results to provide inspiration and a measure of confidence to teachers looking for another way to do what they do, who might be hesitant about departing what they know and find, you know, comfort in the sometimes unsettling role of allowing students to take that unprecedented measure of control in a classroom, going student-centered. So for the purpose of this podcast, though, I'm going to group that student feedback I've received according to its main feature. And I'm going to start with fun. Who here, at least you're listening, who here wants to be thought of as the fun teacher? Me, 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 me. Definitely me. Now, whether or not you raised your hand might very well depend on the experiences you've had as a student. For example... I don't want to be known as the fun teacher because I rock out to Pink Floyd on my boombox between classes. This is a scene taken directly from my own high school experience. I also don't want to be known as the fun teacher because I pour water all over myself while I'm on a webcam during a virtual lesson. Also a scene I've heard of, I haven't actually experienced it as an onlooker, but I've heard of it taking place in another teacher's classroom at my cyber school. No, no, I'm the geeked out nerdy teacher who wants her actual lesson work to be thought of as fun. And while you might think I'm asking for too much from teenagers, think again. Here are some notes I received from students over the years that contain the word fun as a descriptor. This says, you always make chemistry a fun and exciting class that I look forward to every day. This is why I love this class. You find a way to make almost everything interactive and fun. You make the class fun so it's easy to learn. She genuinely makes science fun. While those are great appreciation notes that I take any day, 
To describe my class or science in general as fun is a little vague. I mean, what makes class fun? Isn't that an oxymoron? Also, remember who I am and from whence I came. I am a virtual cyber school teacher. I did not only do the virtual thing in 2020, I have been doing it for 11 years. If I were looking back on my own schooling, describing something as fun, I might call upon my um, graduate advisor, actually, who is a professor, a professor at Penn State, who put on a big chemistry demonstration show Halloween every year. I mean, fun was flames 40 feet into the sky, right? I can't do any of that. So what are these kids talking about as fun? One student used the word interactive in her, in her feedback there. And incidentally, that's how I label and categorize the lesson plans that I sell. I call them interactive science lessons. I'm always using that term with you guys. So focusing now on any terms or descriptions of what some students might call fun that others are being a bit more specific about. This student says, I love Kim because she makes it interesting and makes me want to come to class every day to learn more. She has a great teaching style. And another student says, I really like how you have simulations and little activities for us to do on our own every day. Now, these comments begin to reflect more of the goals I had in mind when I made the switch to student-centered learning. Because goodness knows, my goal was not to be the fun teacher. <laughs> I had endeavored to do three things at the time. First, I wanted to be able to collect artifacts of learning every day. Second, I wanted to increase rigor. And third, I wanted to foster and nurture a growth mindset. The first of these goals, collecting artifacts of learning, can be easily achieved or demonstrated anyway. I can show my students' work off to my colleagues, my principals, or even you. I'd argue that the increased rigor goal uh, is also evident in the interactive lessons themselves and what they call upon students to do. Students in these lessons are prompted to execute high-level depth of knowledge tasks and really do the hard work of learning. Those artifacts I collect can also be used to demonstrate the increased rigor as compared to my former teaching days, where I really couldn't collect anything. But that third goal, foster and nurture a growth mindset, that's not nearly as tangible of a goal. It can't be seen in action unless you're watching the chat box in my classroom listening in on discussion there, or reading student communication in some other forum, like in notes of appreciation like these. The very essence of growth mindset and overcoming challenge is alarmingly prevalent in notes from my students. On one hand, I do understand the inherent limiting belief that my students bring with them to my chemistry class. Many would claim that they're just, quote, not good at science, much like you might often hear so many students lament about math class. Even grown adults who meet me for the first time and they learn what I do and what I teach, you cannot visibly see them cringe. 
or they regard me as some sort of genius. This goal of fostering growth mindset is a super important one for me because I feel like one of our top priorities as teachers is to rework the content. That content we know so well to present it in a more digestible way. I don't think any of us would expect to hand a biology, chemistry, or physics textbook to a high school student and expect them to thoroughly understand it or master any skills from having read it. The same thing goes for educational videos, right? I've recently seen some ads on TV for companies that produce learning videos and they're marketing directly to parents who want to help their children make up for lost learning time during COVID. Yes, videos are better than textbooks, depending on your learning style, I guess. And it might not be my place to judge these programs without knowing exactly what each video contains. But if a child or student is prompted to interact with the content in some way that allows them to have those aha light bulb moments, what really is the extent of the learning that's happening? And the same can be said for lecture and note taking. So without further ado, let's take a listen to some of the comments I've received that pertain to challenges my students have overcome and the growth mindset they've adopted or strengthened as a result of participating in my student-centered classroom where interactive science lessons are used. There are so many. <laughs> I'm looking at, let's see, four, five, six, nine of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first says, thank you for a great year of chemistry. The assignments were sometimes challenging, but for the most part, it was easy grasping the subject matter and I feel I'm improved greatly over the course of the year. Second one here says, You've really challenged my mind in ways I didn't think I could understand. Also, I'm not a very vocal social person, but being in your class has made it easy for me to be comfortable in myself. Science has never been a favorite subject of mine because I'm never able to fully grasp it. This year, though, you made it my favorite class of the year, and I was able to understand it. Mrs. Carosis has somehow made chemistry easy. She explains it so well, I could have not made it through a year of chemistry without her special way of teaching. Another student says, you have given me so much help this year and made things make sense to me. I never thought I would do well in chemistry, but you made it possible that I have. Mrs. Carosis is fantastic at helping people understand difficult concepts. Another student says, it's easy to learn. Another says, the way you teach has helped me remember more of what I learn. And finally, in this series, your class is my favorite class that I have had to take this year. It is very challenging, but very challenging in a good way. Your class gets me thinking and actually pushes me to do well in science. It's a great mix of challenging tasks to get my brain thinking, fun activities to help further my understanding. Phew! (laughs) I think there are more challenge-related appreciation notes than any other kind that I can share with you. Have I fostered a growth mindset? Um, check. (laughs) Next up. You heard a little bit about collaboration, about that social-emotional piece. 
well, wait a minute, hold the phone. It's all emotional, right? These students who are overcoming challenges, there are huge emotions with that. Let's focus on that social aspect. Let's talk about collaboration now. Reminding you again that I teach in a virtual cyber charter school. While I have had meeting software for 10 years that enabled me to group students together to solve problems, this is something I have personally struggled with immensely. And I continue to, I think, in my 11 years as a teacher in my current role at my current school. By and large, the students who enroll in my school as teenagers or those who've been enrolled in our school for many, many years are just averse to working in groups. Heck, my own nine-year-old son, who loves school and loves people and revels in group work in his traditional brick-and-mortar school, absolutely despised being tasked with working in teams when he was briefly enrolled in my virtual cyber school last year due to COVID. When I asked him why, he explained that when he'd use the microphone to discuss something with his teammate, he often didn't get an answer. And if you've done any amount of virtual instruction, you know this all too well. The student's logged in, you see his or her name there, and maybe that student's even answering, you know, polling type questions. Maybe they can green check you or red X or give you a multiple choice answer or a smiley face. But when actually tasked with something, it's crickets. The other reason my son gave for not loving teamwork in the virtual classroom was that he knew the answers or he knew how to do the task he was given and he just wanted to do it his way. Can I just tell you guys? The apple doesn't far fall from the tree there, folks. <laughs> That's a little bit of the genes moving through uh, generations. But even though my son is younger than many of my own chemistry students, I think the same resistance or reason for resistance to collaboration exists. Think, pair, share? That's not happening in a meaningful way in my classroom. But learning experiences that provide opportunities wherein students respond individually and uniquely allow me to share their work with the rest of the class on their behalf. And this strengthens self-esteem and it strengthens confidence. Now, forgive me if I've mentioned this before, but my younger son is seven, and he was also enrolled in my cyber school this past year as a first grader due to COVID. His absolute favorite school days, I mean, the smile persisted the entire day, and sometimes it lingered throughout the rest of the week. That came from just a single class session with his teacher where she, and I quote, showed him off. Of course, that meant that everyone did some work on their own and she used his slide of work, his actual writing, to explain a concept and show a correct example. I mean, hey, getting shown off feels good even for us adults, right? And that's essentially my approach to collaboration in the virtual classroom. Everyone from day one is told how important it is to take risks. To know that in science, there is often not a single correct answer at the beginning of an investigation. That learning is science and learning is a process. 
course, there is a correct answer ultimately in class, right? But when you craft a learning experience, like a real scientific encounter, where the focus is on observation and hypothesis, the sting of being wrong isn't quite so strong. That was an amazing rhyme, and I probably couldn't have tried, done it if I tried, but it was pretty amazing. The sting of being wrong isn't quite so strong. So here are two comments I received related to the ability for my five-element lesson planning framework and the interactive science lessons that I prepare to foster that collaborative spirit. The first student says, It's a great mix of challenging subjects to get my brain thinking, fun activities to help further my understanding, and a great way for me to participate in class and collaborate with my fellow students. Class participation has always been something I struggled with in school, but your class is helping me get better at it. Your class gets me out of my learning comfort zone and pushes me to work harder than I have in my past classes. The second student says, and I and I this is probably redundant from one of the comments above. Um, I'm not a very social vocal vocal slash social person, but being in your class has made it easy for me to be comfortable in myself. Um, this might sound like a big brag fest. <laughs> Did you know the kids these days call it flexing? My son tells me that that um, in his video game playing anyway, it's called flexing. Please know this is not an attempt to flex on you. It's only meant to inspire you to help you know what type of real human impact you can make by shifting the focus from you to your student in every way, and that's if that's something you're considering. And I don't think you'd be listening to me if it wasn't. (laughs) So uh, for those of you who are already doing this or just in the initial throes of trying it out, student-centered learning, it's inspiration to know the impact you're making even when those students aren't articulating it yet. Even when you are holding your breath each and every day, wondering how is this going to go? What, what size train wreck am I going to have to clean up at the end of class, right? Because we've been there. We've all been there. The final two aspects of my student-centered classroom, those that are central to my student-centered approach, any student-centered approach, that I want to touch on with regard to the fact that students notice and have commented on is first, being flexible. You know, student-focused, that main act for which you are only the host. And second, being responsive to provide meaningful, just-in-time, real-time feedback during learning while it's taking place that most critical time in which we could provide it. Now, while I've talked a great deal so far in this podcast about preparing student-centered interactive science lesson plans, I haven't talked much about their execution, dot, 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 yet. That's to come. Just stick with me. Both these features that I just discussed, um, being flexible and being responsive, they're related to executing student-centered lessons. Providing students' choice in particular is a cornerstone of any student-centered approach or curriculum design. Without it, students aren't able to fully take ownership of the learning process or act on feedback we give them. 
In my virtual chemistry classroom, student choice might be incorporated into the actual tasks related to the learning experience in a lesson. Another way to think of student choice in general is through differentiation of process. Probably where I'm best at providing student choice, this differentiation of process, is during any lesson that includes math. Because my student body, maybe like all of yours, maybe like every classroom across the country, my student body struggles with math. And you know, they struggle with the problem-solving aspects of math. How to think through a solution from start to finish, those multiple steps to get from point A to point B. Simply bringing them back together for a review of the how-to after some independent learning time isn't going to benefit most of my students in a way that will allow them to work through a problem on their own in the future. And not all of my students struggle. It's not uncommon for me to have five to seven students in a group of 25 or 30 that can work a stoichiometry problem or a gas law problem having just seen it modeled once or twice. For those students, I build in answer checks with my good old book widget software. And once they've worked through a problem and verified that they're correct, they're encouraged to move on to a deeper aspect of the content or maybe in my model even excused from the remainder of the lesson because we have that flexible, that physical flexibility of them being at home and otherwise in class all day long sitting in front of a computer. And uh, that little extra break between classes is usually a highly sought after reward. But during that time that my advanced students will have moved on to something else, and I really didn't have to intervene with them at all because I'll collect their work at the end and they will have verified they're correct before they moved on, I'm available to review the work of others and redirect or praise as necessary as they do the hard work of learning to see their solution through to the end. I mean, just so we're all on the same page, we might be talking about working a single problem for an entire period worth of chemistry class. Or maybe I have, freed up to, uh, I have time freed up to work with small groups of students who can't even get started. With baby steps, they each work toward a problem with the same setup, the same goal, but maybe different numbers, you know, in the context of a stoichiometry problem or a gas law problem. This way, they can learn from my modeling and from the work of their peers to solve the problem. I try so hard to ensure that every single one of my students has solved a problem correctly from start to finish of every kind they'll ever be asked to do on an assessment. For math applications, I believe wholly that the learning happens in the doing. And so just like all other aspects of this student-centered thing we're talking about on this podcast, students notice. They appreciate it because they benefit from it. One student writes, I appreciate that you understand my abilities in class and let me work how I want to with things like moving to my own breakout room during class to work on my own problems. I love how flexible you teach your class and how you don't just assume everyone there is at the same level of understanding. That message came from a particularly engaged student. She had straight A's when she joined our school mid-year. I saw her potential during the first week she was with me. 
like so many other students I led over the years, I have a soft spot and real concern for these students who do put in the hard work outside of class to understand what was taught in class. For these students who do listen and take notes. For these students who do ask questions. If this is your first time on the podcast, by the way, I teach a mostly at-risk group of students, what they would call reluctant learners. And so for me to put so much emphasis on those students who do do the work of learning, you know, I don't want to neglect that I have them. I certainly do. And I've always actually adamantly disagreed with the notion that my class time as a teacher would be at all well spent by cold calling names of students I know are unengaged, I know they're uninterested, and I know they're probably not even sitting in front of their computer while there's other students trying hard and they're waiting for me. They're waiting patiently through those painful moments. I imagine it's tough to stay interested and engaged, even if you were at the start of class once the teacher goes off and focuses their attention and valuable class time on asking for answers from a student everyone knows is going to be unreliable to respond. Now, I am not in any way advocating neglecting that child. However, I just don't like to use class time to single them out. It's not a strategy I'm a fan of. So I resolved to find a way to allow these strong students to shine. And they even get some of those built-in rewards. And two comments related specifically to the real-time feedback that often happens during that flex time when students are choosing sometimes what or sometimes how they're going to achieve their goals related to a specific learning experience task. One student writes, I love how you take the time to check our work every day in class and give us feedback. The other student says she's incredibly fast at responding to student questions. This idea of being responsive in the classroom was something I inherently knew I needed to do a long time ago. Long before I knew about or considered introducing student-centered learning to my classroom. In the learning model of my virtual cyber school, Students don't need to submit work the day it's assigned. The flexibility of time is inherent to the purpose for my school to exist, and it complements the lifestyle of countless families for a variety of reasons. I'm not in a position to either change those policies or influence those policies. But as teachers listening, you know how important it would be, for example, to review solutions to homework to a quiz, or to a test after all the students have taken it. They absolutely need to know what they've done wrong in order to not make those mistakes again. Even if there was a confidence in the material going into the assessment, some questions, especially higher order DOK questions, they're just going to trip them up and they need to be shown the way through. Well, since some students may take a week or two to complete an assessment in my class at my school, it's not possible for me to review it with the entire group. I have found ways around that by conditionally releasing answer key style embedded videos in my learning management system, but there's no assurance students are going to watch them. Not like they would, anyway, if I presented it during class. Frankly, the first element of my framework, the review and preview portion, 
was born from the need to constantly refer back to work that had been accomplished during class time for this express purpose. In real time, they'd complete a complex task and receive on-the-spot feedback. In my virtual environment, I was able to make notes directly on their work, and redirection could sometimes be instantaneous. I would literally type something quick, and a student would, you know, backspace a sentence and rework something that they had created. They learned to take risks in putting forth answers because they knew, even if they were wrong, they'd learn something from that encounter. I really truly believe this has contributed to the success I've had in increasing engagement in my virtual chemistry classroom. There is nothing for students to lose and everything for them to gain. I want to share one final comment with you before signing off today. This comment came from my instructional coach. If you don't have an instructional coach or you're unfamiliar with that role, let me briefly explain. A seasoned veteran teacher is assigned to observe teachers executing lessons, and he or she takes notes about best practices that are there or that are missing. Then the the teachers, the teacher and the coach meet afterward to discuss perceived strength and areas of improvement. In my school, this process has really morphed over time. Initially, it was optional until it wasn't. (laughs) Me personally, I never used to opt in and I totally hated the thought. But believe it or not, that's because I really become totally unhinged when I'm being observed. Over time though, and I mean lots of time, years, as I naturally became less focused on me and my performance, and more hyper-focused about overcoming the obstacles I was encountering in my classroom, I really, really wanted to work with my coach. I wanted to talk with her about pedagogy, and I wanted to really discuss the merits of various approaches, things I was thinking. Just saying, if you have an instructional coach and you're hating on them now, (laughs) just wait. There may come a day when you see the whole thing through a different set of glasses. But I digress. Here's her comments. Comments she sent after she visited one of my class sessions. She writes, This lesson was an exemplar for differentiation and individual mastery. You're so adept at making lessons that allow for students to work immediately on their own if able, while still providing guidance to those in need. Allowing them to choose how they're going to work gives them a sense of choice and control over their learning. So refreshing to see the individual work and mastery in the breakout rooms and your encouragement. In this single comment, she included nearly everything I highlighted for for you today in this episode from student perspective. And as a point of reflection, this is important, not so I can flex on you, (laughs) but because multiple perspectives from multiple vantage points in my classroom are experiencing the same things. The basic tenets of student-centered learning are there and everyone can see them. You know, if you want to go back to one of our founding episodes in this podcast where I talked about what learning looks like in your classroom and is it visible and can everyone see 
these foundations. Differentiation of process. Student choice in that process. Student independence in executing the process they've chosen. Just-in-time praise or redirection. Ongoing encouragement and overall engagement. Folks, this is within your reach. If I can do it with the obvious barriers I have as a virtual cyber school chemistry teacher, you can do it with yours, no matter the environment or the obstacle. And I'll leave you with that very positive notion today. If you're interested in learning more about my five-element framework for planning interactive science lessons for student-centered classrooms, visit my website at www.labineverylesson.com slash five elements. That's the number five in the word elements. There, you can download a comprehensive guide to each of the elements I incorporate, tips and tricks for doing it yourself, and even some examples. When you share your email there, you'll also be added to my email list, which I'll use to notify you of various new lessons I've created, new podcast episodes I've published, and any promotions I might be running in my store. If you loved this episode or any other on the Student-Centered Science Teacher Podcast, please leave a review on the podcast player of your choice or give me a shout out on your favorite social network. Help me spread the word. Take a snapshot of that review or social shout out and share it with me to receive a free interactive science lesson of your choice from those currently available in my store. Just visit my website, www.labineverylesson.com and click on podcast in the menu at the top right. Then follow the instructions on that page. And of course, if you haven't listened to all the episodes yet, take some time to catch up. Because remember, what you do and how you do it, it matters. Catch you next time, everyone.